0: you're listening to the running public from marathoners to mud runners we all have the same goal get to the finish line faster that's right this podcast is for you guys
1: the running public
2: do you know hey do you know who the next bachelorette is yeah carly claire claire oh yeah 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 well, uh, I know her. yeah wasn't she on paradise with you
1: yeah yeah she was she's cool yeah she'll be good she's like spicy and she like she can hold her own and she uh she doesn't i don't know she's gonna stir the pot a little bit she'll be like entertaining to watch dude she's older like 38 or something yeah yeah Are they gonna have like, is it all gonna
2: be younger men or are they gonna have like middle-aged men on there? You know, like that's what I was wondering. I have no idea. Guys in their forties and fifties, you know, like walking around with canes and stuff.
0: (laughs) No one wants to see 40, 50 year old men making out. with. with
2: (laughs) Oh God, yeah, (laughs) his old mouth and his old hands.
1: Ball, what is that from? Old balls, big daddy. Big daddy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Adam Sandler one. Big Daddy, right? Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah, calls. Yeah, no yeah. Woodsy, what do, you think, uh, what do you think we want to talk to you about today?
2: Uh, birds. I know. Brad already pitched this
1: to me years ago.
2: He's been wanting to do this for years.
1: Yeah. I that forgot
0: about that. <laughs>
2: what, was, what was that called?
0: I don't know. You, you, he wanted to do a podcast years ago. Uh, when I podcast a YouTube show. A
2: YouTube show where we did, and I, I'm kind of into birds. I've got this birding app. We used to have the theater. So I was like psyched for it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. When we were in Hawaii, they had black swans out of our hotel. We could have talked about that.
0: It was going to be called the Bird Running Society. We're just <laughs> going to do epic, incredible workouts and then pair it with watching birds and being like overly dorky and scientific about it. <laughs>
1: I can't imagine there's much of an audience for that.
0: I can't remember <laughs> why this came up, but we—I remember thinking like this is going to be huge—and I forgot like what led were. It.
1: Yeah, it's going to be huge.
0: <laughs> I mean, it would have been satire, obviously. Yeah, yeah,
1: would have been huge. Woodsy, for a guy whose cat eats like a million birds a year, how can you say you're a bird lover? Well, you know, he's gotten super lazy. You want to see him? He's just
2: kind of like walking around right now.
1: Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh there.
2: Oh oh. What is oh, he trying hair to? tie on the floor? Get that fucker. Oh, man, look at that.
1: If you guys are wondering, uh Woodsy has an account for his cat on Instagram called Butcher of Boone, and all he posts is like dismantled mice and all sorts of things that his cat kills. So that's that's where we're at. He's gotten kind of lazy uh, of
2: late. Uh, he's sleeping through the night. Uh, he burrows in like a tick, so he hasn't killed much. I think Kempson is the number one killer cat now. Have you seen some of the stuff his cat does?
0: His cat looks like a bobcat when it's up in trees.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it kills like a bobcat.
1: I think it's savage. See lo man, he's, he's lazy. Maybe if you stop feeding your cat for a couple days, he'll go, he'll go back to his old habits. <laughs> is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Lizzie, what do you uh, what are you spending your time doing these days man I know you shut down your chiropractic clinic yeah no I uh, I'm
2: hanging some sheetrock in the ceiling of the bathroom did put in new light and fan and and fixed a, a hole in the roof uh, um, and uh, I've been drinking and uh, what are you drinking uh, what, what are you offering?
1: I got a couple bourbon rye scotch options in my shelf what about you uh, I'll take them all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I've got on a few big
2: trail runs. Like, so, you know, basically there's nothing to race. I, I don't know if it's official or not that Montana's canceled. Like I've gotten
1: official uh, yeah.
2: cause it's hard to keep up with all this. So I don't really have any race till, I mean, maybe that Savage race in Charlotte in mid May, but, uh, you know, that'd be like one race. So I've decided to take a break from training, take like, uh, my, little bit of off season now. Um, and it's a little bit, it's, it's kind of well-timed. I did kind of build up and get in pretty good shape, but just to make sure that, you know, when racing gets going again in June, July, whenever it is, you know, I'm building a peak towards that, but if, with the time off, I've actually ended up, I'll take a day off and then I'll go out for a big, awesome trail run. I'm, I'm basically hitting all the regional trail stuff right now within an hour of home that, on a regular basis and with structured training, I don't really get to get out and do that much. So yesterday I was up in the Grayson Highlands, ran up to Mount Rogers, which is the highest point in Virginia. Um, I went down to, um, uh ran up Grandfather, what else did I do? I ran down uh, uh, Short Off, uh, which is up towards Table Rock. I'm gonna go do all the way to Table Rock, probably later this week. Um, later this week I'll probably go up to Roan Mountain, which is uh, in Tennessee, but uh, it's only like 45 minutes away. and just kind of doing more awesome, fun stuff and uh, taking my phone with me because Katie got me a, a little handheld for my birthday that holds my phone. So I've been filming lots of like chaotic running shots and, and posting a lot with the last of the can soundtrack because that's keeping me entertained.
0: Um, yeah, I you know I'm, I'm I'm pretty bored. So I'm just looking for stuff to do, really. You know We talked about this on the last podcast that generally when you're an athlete in training, you're not like getting to really enjoy your recovery and easy days and you have to enjoy the process. Right now you get to enjoy all your runs and do the fun stuff.
2: And I'm still in pretty good shape too. So it's not like I'm getting out there like huffing around an extra 10 pounds of gut, you know, up a mountain. So it's a, it's kind of rare that all that comes together. So I'm, I'm trying to enjoy it as much as possible. But yeah, usually things are so structured you know, you're hitting days based upon upcoming races, the type of terrain. If it's in mountain season, you're doing more, you know, structured
1: mountain stuff. And uh now it's kind of just whatever the hell I want. Are you um are you chasing FKTs? Is this like a thing that'll keep you on track? I see a lot of guys are out there chasing crowns right now. Uh no. <laughs> no, no.
2: I don't even understand FK like where people find these FKTs. I don't know what they are around me. I'm sure like I mean maybe some of these big trails like the Tanoa or something I could get out there and do that and I don't I mean maybe the, if they have an FKT for it but uh, I've never really gotten too into that.
1: Oh. Well you look to have all the all these segments around your house on Strava seem to be yours so you do have some FKTs. Man I told you I so I ran a hard 1500 meter today. Uh you really? was a uh,
2: do what? You did yeah. Um Zap Fitness did this sort of thing on I think it was Saturday, they were like, Oh, go out and run your favorite fifteen hundred meter loop. I ended up doing it today and it's around Bass Lake, which is mostly flat, but uh uh I, I got my fastest time, but I was still only seventh and, and uh five of the six guys in front of me are all Zap guys, which are, you know, pro runners. Uh but that was that was kinda all out for me. And it was only four thirty one for fifteen hundred, so you know. I ran two hours yesterday. So,
1: what do you would that be on a track? Do you think if you were on a flat track, perfect conditions, what do you think it would have been?
2: Oh, it's pretty soggy, and there's it kind of rolls a little bit, and the dam has a bit of a headwind. But I would say that's probably ten seconds, uh, maybe like a four twenty effort. All right, because that'd be like a four thirty five six miles. So yeah, that's
0: a generous conversion. Well, I mean, it was muddy and and and. Soft. No, I'm I'm talking going from 1500 up to mile, only going 15 seconds. Oh,
2: well. oh no! I was I was, I was saying, uh, what was I saying? Did I do that all wrong?
0: No, it's, I'm just giving you a hard time.
2: I'm on vacation, all right. Don't make me <laughs> do
0: math. No, no, we don't need to do that. We don't need to do any math, but we do want to do some history.
2: Ooh. History.
0: Yeah, how about that for a segue?
1: Uh, yeah. The Spanish flu of 1918. Is that what we're going to talk about? You're the oldest guy in the sport.
0: Yeah. The Ryan Woods of 1920 or when it 30, (laughs) I mean, everyone in this sport knows you now, and some people in the sport remember when you first came in and got on the struggle bus for a year or two. And a few amount of people know that you were like a big time mountain runner. And some people know you ran college, but we want to go all the way back and like find out the Ryan Woods progression as an athlete.
2: It was fourth grade. We had junior champ mile for our local PE and uh we went after it first time i'd ever run a mile and i'm out there out front with my friend john perry he had the speed he was fast he was like finalist in my our senior year at the state in the 400 meters and we're getting towards the end and and i'm like hey how about you let me win this
1: one he's like all right
2: and 100 meters to go and he just sprints past
1: me and that's where it all began that doesn't sound like you'd want to come back (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, I, I was I was good at distance stuff. Like you put me in PE and they'd have you sprint across the gym and I was pretty close to the slowest in my class. I mean, of all the guys, girls, fat people, you know, everybody, I was slow. And uh, but then all of a sudden, like we had this mile run. And I not only was I second in the class, but like, you know, I was running with a guy. It was just an incredible athlete and, you know, he's one of my best friends. So like, man, I'm, I'm pretty good at distance stuff. And we actually, I think over the next couple of years, I it, it did it again as same sort of result. And uh, so I kind of realized I had natural talent. My sister's who the one who got me into running though. She was a year younger than me in school and she came out it's so a freshman to the cross country team, and she made All State as a freshman. And that point, um, that's when my parents bought me a new set of skis to join the track team that uh, spring. So, track my sophomore year of high school is my first sort of structure running. Must be hard to run in skis, Woodsy. <laughs> I never push. used those things, man. The same, they gave me those, and all of a sudden I'm like running every day of the week. My,
1: my all my skiing time was gone. So, so they bribed you, right? The, if I understand it. They bribed you. You said, okay, I'll run track if you guys buy me a set of skis. Yeah. That's where it started. Yeah. Yeah. And here I am, 41 years old,
2: still doing it.
0: So were you successful in high school or was it a a process?
2: No, I was successful. Um, So that track season, I mean, I didn't really take that serious. I'd run like five days a week and I was one of the the team that – uh that uh fall won the cross country state championships the big uh the big division in north carolina so but i was already like in that first track season i was one of the faster guys top five guys on the team and then the following cross country season my first cross country season i was still only running five days a week didn't run over the summer um you know did a lot of things as lazy as possible and i was 13th at the state meet uh and i uh uh our team tied for the state title i was the number two guy on the team and we lost in the tiebreaker and then my senior year cross country i was second in the state and we won the state title so um i was pretty good i was moderately recruited to college so all the regional schools were offering me like books or something like that and i wasn't even sure if i wanted to run in college i didn't really enjoy it that much and then uh so when i decided all right i'm going to run in college i basically my whole decision was i'm going to run for the best school that will have me there and that was nc state and uh never even met the coach when i showed up for the first practice like no recruiting visits total unrecruited walk-on and uh yeah you know it was kind of weird at first i i didn't know if i was even really on the team i was showing up but by the time i graduated i was an all-american at 5k i'd won three acc titles uh, I think I was eight times all conference seven or eight times all conference so uh, it it took me a couple of years, you know, just in terms of getting the volume under my belt because I didn't train much in high school maybe twenty five miles a week and uh, didn't train through winter or summer and then by the time I got to college, it's every day and and the volume was a lot more every day um, but my breakout race came my red shirt sophomore year in track and Started that track season with a fifteen fourteen PR, which I knew was um, I knew I was better than that, but you know, I hadn't had a good opportunity. And I ended that track season with a fourteen oh five PR. Um, everyone runs that nowadays, but back then that was pretty fast.
0: As a sophomore to run fourteen oh and cut a minute off your time. That's not yeah. a terrible progression.
2: Yeah. I was I was better than that earlier, but you know, I ran ACC's as a redshirt freshman, and it was like 30-mile-an-hour wins. Uh, so the winning time, I don't think – I think the winning time was like 15 flat. And then uh Raleigh Relays that year, the other 5K I did was like 35 degrees and pouring rain. Um, that ended with a really frozen penis, so it was not good.
0: <laughs> no, you don't want that.
1: You know, that's it for like people listening though. Like that is a huge progression. Like taking, let's just say, even if it was shitty conditions, like a minute off your 5k PR PR in one season. Like if you're like a 30 minute 5k or that's like taking four minutes off your 5k. Yeah, like how difficult it is to take off that much time like that's like what were you doing it was just like a matter of time you finally got consistent with training and you just No, the out. training was there so my first
2: year is getting adapted to volume and i was just one of those hard asses that all, all i wanted to do was run with the top guys and the team was so good and so deep that geiger he had me running the slowest guys so i uh, at first you know like i just tried to kind of hammer those guys and then by the end of that first year, uh, the redshirt year, you know, going into the next year, I'm kind of in the next tier of runners as new freshmen came in, and I'm working with them some and maybe some faster guys, and I'm just trying to hammer – I basically turned every workout into a race, and I just wanted mm-hmm. to finish a step in front of everybody for those workouts. Geiger gave me a time I wanted to be a couple seconds faster, and then I started listening to the top guys' times, and I tried to hit those times. Um, I would say I was pretty fit by the end of that redshirt freshman year, but I didn't have the opportunities. And uh, and going into cross country, the team was so deep. I didn't make that top seven. The um, team was so deep. They finished third in the nation uh, that year, and then the next year we lined up seven entirely different guys and finished 11th in the nation. A whole, whole different seven. Not a single person carried over from the year before. So it was a super deep team, and I just hammered every workout until finally I popped a, a race. And a lot of guys on the team could see it coming. They knew it was coming for a while, um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't know. I was just out there running hard every day.
1: I had no idea. We just had our, we, our last episode, was I know you're a big listener of the Running Public. I know you got our posters up in your room, so you you listen. But our last uh, our last episode, we just talked about not going hard every day and taking your easy days easy and your hard days hard. So you were you were a workout hero every day. Is that what I'm hearing?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And then, uh, uh, so that junior year, retro junior, we
2: actually lost ACC title in cross country as the first time in four or five years. And uh, after that. <laughs> Not only was I hammering every workout, um one of the, some of the guys were a little confident, cocky going into it. They were like making fun of the competition, you know, like we had it wrapped up. So then when we lost and those guys had shitty races, uh I I I took it out on them. <laughs> Not only was I hammering workouts, but if they tried to run mm-hmm. with me on a regular run, I would just hammer and break them there. And that that went on for about three months. Um, but it worked well for me. I ended up winning indoors uh into our ACC championship, the 3K and the 5K coming off of that. Um, wow. that definitely my best weekend in college. Um,
0: what would you so, run? Or were they tactical?
2: Uh, they were both tactical. I think they were – I think it was like 14, 15 for the 5K. And then I came back in like a, uh, probably an 8, 15 or something. Both of them ended up with a, a two-flat eight, last 800. I just waited till 800 to go and just – that's how I won all my all three of my ACC titles. Actually, half mile ago, just dropped two flat.
0: Isn't that crazy to think now?
2: I know. I don't think I could run a two flat period. That's what that's what like uh, today taught me for that 1500. I'm like, man, I don't think I could run like 4:20 for a mile, even with like a full buildup. You know, doing nothing but speed.
0: It goes to show that like fitness is fitness until it's speed, <laughs> and then it's yeah. not there. Like you yeah. can be in great 3K shape and can't run an 800
2: yeah yeah you've got to do the speed you've got to put in that work you've got to get used to that sort of red line
0: but you could you you could still pull that back out you would just have to do it for a little bit could i do it downhill yeah i don't see any issue with that (laughs) all right (laughs) i'm in so did you wind up on scholarship by the end of college or did they just milk you
2: no 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 they gave me a scholarship um after i popped that 1405 they gave me i don't it was a lot and then going into my senior year they gave me even more um So, uh, definitely, I think, I think by the time it was my senior year, I like, because I was living off campus, like the school was giving me like a check for like a thousand dollars each semester or something like that. It was actually pretty good money back then too. Um, and we'd get per diem. So when you qualified for like nationals in the summer, we were getting like $40 a day for like two months. Like that was a, that was a hell of a job just sitting around doing nothing, you know?
0: That is. So you went from... A walk-on who's never met the coach to full ride and them giving you a stipend each month. I made that coach look good. That's not a bad progression.
2: No, he's a great coach actually, and he's he's had a lot of guys do that uh, over the years. So, they, they, I think their women's team finished fourth or fifth in the nation this year in cross country. So it's same coach, same assistants. Uh, one of them actually was my teammate my senior year of college. So he's the male assistant, or I guess they've got their associate head coaches now is their title, but it's the same staff that was there oh, 20 years ago when I graduated.
0: Wow. You go to the reunion? Do they have reunions? They're not inviting me. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably all right. No. We Kirk and I were talking the other day that part of the reason I feel like I had so much motivation to train post-collegiately is because I didn't train that hard in college. And I wasn't burnt out, but it sounds like you did kind of burn the candle in college what kept you motivated because you joined a post collegiate running group right
2: yeah i've never really felt burned out i mean i just take some time off if i'm tired and um i don't know it's never been an issue with me so i i I graduated college and went out to a team that was called the nike farm team afterwards and that was in uh, palo alto and that's where all the fast track races were and they had a lot of stanford graduates there that kind of were the basis of the team and then people regionally were coming in uh to join them. So it was a super deep team, really fast, several Olympians. And I ran there uh, as long as I could till 2004 after the trials there. And I missed the trials that year. Um, that was actually one time that I, there was negatives with being on the farm team because there were so many good people uh, that I felt like I became more of a time trialer than a racer. And I that was my headspace. But when it came to races, it was all about splits um, and a few bad splits. And I ended up Uh, I mean, I I, I only finished like two 5Ks in 2004, and they weren't good. And I I would just hit a bad split, and it it got in my head. So then after that, I ended up going to chiropractic school starting in 2005 in Florida. And I wasn't sure if I was going to keep running then, but it was a nice actual break from the end of – we spent 30 to 32 hours a week in the classroom. So at the end of the day or a break here and there, I'd go for a run. It really refreshed my mind. And, you know, I was in Florida where the running scene was – Wasn't that good? So I was the best runner in the state. So I would just road whore all over the place during their road season, which was like January through April. And I'd make, you know, I think I was making 10 grand every year off of road racing with zero cost because it's all in state. You didn't need a hotel. You didn't need, they'd always give me free entries and stuff. So, uh, so yeah, I kind of just, I found that uh, I went from a time trialer in California to a racer, you know, going for prize purses. So I didn't care about time. I would just race people to win. And I really got back that racing sort of mentality uh, down in Florida while still keeping really good fitness in school.
1: Was your plan to like be a professional runner? And then once you kind of got into that world, you were like, yeah, I might want to look at another route. Is that why you did chiropractic? Or were you planning on going to the chiropractic route the whole time? I mean, chiropractic is always...
2: Part of it when I went out to California, the there our my school had a branch out there in San Jose, and wow. I almost started then. I just wasn't ready to commit to that um, that big student loan debt. Um, yeah. And then by the time like, all right, I'm done with the training for the trials. Palo Alto was so expensive to live. I was like, yeah, I might as well go to Florida. It's a little cheaper, closer to home, and uh, maybe try the beach. And turns out, I hate the beach. <laughs> I hate Florida, so which is good. I ended up coming back up to
1: Boone, where I grew up in the mountains, and
2: and uh, you know it's it's a good fit for me. Sometimes
1: you have to learn the hard way what you like. You might not remember this, but uh, we were down in Texas for the first like US OCR champs, and I was having some back problems. Yeah, and and you adjusted me in the hotel room, okay, the night before the race, and I, I don't even remember. I think I laid across like I don't know, an end table. You adjust me. <laughs> And then you made me a cup of coffee in the morning before I drove you to the race. It was a big <laughs> cup of coffee. It wasn't the shitty hotel coffee. And then I went, and I was ahead of you for eight of nine miles of that US OCR race. And yeah. now I'm starting to wonder. I mean, you ended up passing me. But now I'm wondering if it was the adjustment and the uh, the homebrew, man, you made me. <laughs> Dude, uh, I was injured for that race.
0: I know you were.
2: Um, that was... Uh,
0: Let's just throw that out there right away. Yeah. you didn't. You didn't stay ahead of him. He was injured.
2: I travel with uh, an AeroPress, so I have like good coffee. Because nothing's worse than having good coffee every day, and then you go to a race and you have like this shitty hotel coffee, and you can't get your poop out. Like, what is up with that? That is some <laughs> bullshit. So yeah, I always travel with my own coffee. Um, I I've done some back cracking in some weird places, and uh, yeah, I was a little bit injured uh, for that US OCR. I was surprised because. I couldn't run with you guys at the beginning. Uh, Remember, you guys just ran away from me. And then I just kind of kept like, it wasn't so much a limp, it was a calf injury, but I was still kind of kept grinding along. And then all of a sudden, I started to catch all you guys. Like, I caught you, I caught Killian, and then Killian ended up catching me over that last rope uh, thing. But it's like, oh my God, like, everyone's just keep coming back. And I had the same sort of like max pace I could go, but it wasn't all that cardiovascularly taxing. And you guys were all like, Redlined and then blowing up. I think that's called fitness.
1: Fitness, fitness. I believe.
0: (laughs) How in the world did you go from running and racing Florida to mountain running? Was that just when you moved back to Boone, or was there a transition prior to that?
2: So I'd always done. uh, There's a run called the Bear here in in uh, in our community. Uh, It goes up Grandfather Mountain. It's up up the paved road, but it's like 1,500 feet and, and less than five miles that was always kind of this novelty we did when we were young so um i would come back even from school and do that run uh in the summertime we'd always have a big party afterwards until things got got too big and got too crazy uh we won't go there um but uh so, you know i always you know i always kind of had those around and then what really got me into trail racing i was already back in boone it was two thousand nine. Uh, um, Jason Bryant hosted the 10 K trail national championships, which they haven't always had, but it was 45 minutes away and it had decent prize money in it. And, uh, that's a race. I ended up getting second in like three times. I never won. And some of the years I probably should have won, but I ended up like having an injury here or something else. I got sick from one of them and then they ended up canceling it. Uh, but that race got me into it. That first one I got second in, I loved it. It was fun. Just crazy bombing through the woods
0: was it technical trail
2: yeah and some of it wasn't and some of it was like basically scrambling up a little mountain it was it was a it was it was a good variety of of trail and then from there you know he was associated with la sportiva and from there I got into the la sportiva mountain cup which was a trail series five events across the country you got to choose out of ten races and they scored it and that was awesome I ended up winning that like three or four times and you know, some other good guys would come in and do it, you know, uh, over the years. So it always had good fun competition and, and it was always really neat races, great places to travel. So, um, yeah, from there, and once you had a series of events that you really wanted to do, uh, I was kind of hooked on it.
0: How'd you get into U.S. mountain running then? Um,
2: yeah, that was 2011. Uh, the mountain championships were in New Hampshire and just a solo individual race. Uh, Back then, top six qualified and I was third in that race behind Max King and Joe Gray and then uh, uh, went to the world championships in Albania and Max King won it. <laughs> and we ended up finishing fourth in the world. I, I had a bad race though. That was a, uh, man, I've had lots of injuries over the year. I, I uh, tore my calf muscle uh, in July and that was in September. Um, I was like rounding the corner with half a mile to go. It would have been my last fast 5k. I was on the guy I was walking down ran fourteen like thirty-six and I was about to catch him and pass him when I when
0: something just tore in my calf and um I never ran a fast five K after that. Jeez. That's interesting because you are like the least four foot running fast person I've ever met. You mean on your toes? Yeah, yeah. They're like most people I know who have run sub fourteen are like these little like wispy runners who just prance on their toes and you don't have that stride at all. So it's interesting that you're you you have had multiple calf issues in the past
2: actually I used to always be on my toes I remember uh my high school coach said that he's like or she said that uh, she was like oh you're so fast because you're always on your toes so maybe that's something I've just adapted to since then is uh a little bit less on your toes now it's a lot easier be on your toes on, on a hard surface that's steady like the roads or a track whereas you know mountain and trail stuff you know it's hard to get up on your toes you lose a lot of uh stability doing that so I might have adapted that way but um but yeah, maybe my calf never was the same after that. I don't, I
1: don't know. That's interesting. You know what I want to know? So you spent your life, like, running on a track, flat, fast. Then you went, and post-collegiately, you basically went and ran, flat and fast again. And then you went to Florida, which is flat as hell. So, like, when you started really putting time in the mountains, did it just kick your ass? Or did you climb up your first mountain and were like, oh, I'm good? I mean, so our regular runs here are pretty hilly, you know, like –
2: we we do the fire tower run. You climb eight hundred feet to the top of a fire tower. So it wasn't mountainous, but you know, we were I'm used to running uphill. So I, I never really had that much of a transition. And I always had kind of like stronger quads, I feel like. So um for a runner, I was always more thick quadded than a you lot. You do of have
1: people. meaty quads. You do have nice meaty quads, right? You hitting on me? Yeah. Yeah. That's why you show them off in those split shorts. I get it. Yeah. Now, you know,
2: yeah, I know. um, no, so the transition was, I mean, it was pretty smooth. I uh, like, uh, from what I had been running, uh, to, you know, how my body makeup was, I it was a pretty quick and seamless transition.
1: Well, it's good to know because us flatlanders, it took me a little longer We will say. So when is when when are you going to figure it out? Ozing, I O Z. You think you're funny. I ran nine (laughs) miles yesterday and I got sixty nine feet of elevation gain. Sixty nine, you little pervert. Uh, That's from the house. I can't help it. (laughs) The world, man. You did that on purpose. (laughs) Gotta stop now.
0: So you made your your transition then to OCR. And we've actually talked about you on the podcast a bit as the example of why people won't come over and dominate our sport in waves and that you are the exception to the rule of high level runners and that you just took your lumps and kept coming back. And we don't believe that most runners will do that. Why why did you do it?
2: I think part of it was, you know, that sort of transition. I knew like – wasn't as interested in just the road stuff, uh, wasn't as good. Um, I kind of had been struggling in the mountain stuff too. Like I wasn't as, as good coming off a broken ankle and I packed on a couple extra pounds. And, and I think as I was getting into, uh, obstacle racing, I kind of justified those extra pounds as, Oh, I'm just stronger. But, um, you know, I, I, uh, I think I was just stubborn with it. I, I felt like I could do it. I felt like I was close. And, and a lot of times you know, it was almost, tr- I was almost tricked into it. So I could do, like right away, the second Spartan race I ever finished was Spartan Charlotte. The only obstacle I failed was the spear, mm-hmm. you know? So like the regional ones, I'm right away, I'm pretty clean at. It. And then I would get to the big boy ones, and A, you're running a lot harder, so you're redlining. B, the carries were heavier, sometimes double and longer, um, which led to me just being... Broken down and failing obstacles at the end of those races. And for me, it was just like a getting a little bit better condition, kind of picking out, okay, a couple things here and there that I needed to improve upon to get better overall. And it took, I mean, it I don't know how long it really took because, you know, 2015 was my first full season in there. And then that 2016 year uh, was an odd year because I was, do you remember when I got mauled by that pit bull? So, you know, I missed a couple of months of training for that, and then I started coming back too quick and got injured. So, um, you know, that year I, sh- I think I took forward steps, but I couldn't train for a good bit of it in terms of strength or running. And then by the time <clears throat> 2017 rolled around, I'd really figured it all out, and that was the year I was, I was fourth in the U.S. series. I guess I was eighth in 2016 despite all the injuries. Uh, but uh, that's the year where I kind of really put it together um, physically, and then, uh, um, got the consistency there in 2018. Although I was pretty consistent in 2017. It just was consistently at the edge of the podium. I think I was like fifth, fifth, sixth, and third in my four scoring races for the U.S. series, which,
1: which was, you know, consistent, but not contending to win. What was your first OCR race? that you ran. What made you run that race too? I'm curious. Uh, so the first one I tried was, uh, a world, uh, was tough world. Okay.
2: In 2011, I saw this world's toughest mutter event had $10,000 for the winner. And I'm like, ah, oh, I can do that. <laughs> so first thing you had to do is you had to qualify. So I showed up to tough mudder Wintergreen, and they're like top 10% of finishers. They didn't time it. (laughs) Like, I'm like, uh, what's going on here? Like I started like the third wave and I was the second person to cross the finish line that morning. So that was my first one, wintergreen, Tough Mudder 2011. And then I went to World's Toughest Mudder and I had a wetsuit. I was actually kind of prepared, but they give you no information. I didn't realize there's a tent on course. You could put your wetsuit in before you got in all the water. So my wetsuit was sitting in my little, uh, uh, Camping area while I'm in the water, you know, just a t-shirt, freezing because it was 33 degrees and and just freezing cold in New Jersey. So that was a uh, that was enough to not have me come back for an OCR for my four years, three years, four
1: years. Oh geez, so you were chasing money. It was literally money. You were like, I'm gonna go win oh, yeah. that money. It wasn't yeah. like, oh, I'm gonna kick ass at this for sure. It was like, I want to get paid.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, because uh, in. I started my practice in 2009 and, you know, it was a slow build. So I was still trying to make money on the roads in North Carolina, trails, mountains. I thought about the OCR stuff because, you know, the buildup for building a practice was pretty slow. So uh, back then, you know, every little, you know, a couple hundred dollars here on a weekend
0: was a big deal. Then I saw you for the first time. Do you remember where? Was it Warrior Dash? Yeah, Warrior Dash World Championship. World Championships. Yeah, yeah. You saw me stuck in a mud pit, and you
2: crawled right by me and took two thousand (laughs) dollars. Yes, I
0: did. I watched you in that red singlet, red and white singlet, for the entire (laughs) race, just focused on your back, like that's fifth place, and I have to. I don't know who that man is, but I have to catch him.
2: Kirk, they they dug up a mud pit right in front of the finish line, and like I'm, you know, I've never done one of these mud pits. So like I've got fifth wrapped up. I'm cashing in my head the 2000 bucks. You know, I'm like, all right, going to Napa. It's going to be a great weekend. I go into this mud pit. That's all there is between me the finish line. I go right in the middle and it was just this mucky swamp. I couldn't move on it. I kind of flatten out to go by it. And then like, I see out of the corner of my eye, Bracken and Hunter, on the edge of the mud pit, just crawling by on firm dirt. There was no mud. They were just in (laughs) dirt just like racing by me. I'm like, what the hell?
0: (laughs) Uh, I have a distinctly different recollection. Yours was really wet and ours was really muddy is what I remember. And I was swimming, swim crawling. It was the most desperate I've ever been on an obstacle because I knew like, if I can't get through this, I lose a thousand dollars on this trip. And if I can get through it, I win 2000. And so it was like, it probably took what twenty seconds to get through.
2: I mean, for you,
0: it took me probably forty. <laughs> it felt like hours.
2: Whoever was right in front of me, it might have been, might have been Hobie or Cody. Like I was still thinking, like, oh, they're right there. Mm-hmm. I, I had the same gap on them as you guys had on me. And then yeah. next thing you know, man, like I, like I was, I couldn't move. It was so mushy in there. Like it, I could have like stood up almost. It was just yeah. like. Waist deep swamp, and you were in like knee deep swamp. How about that? Yeah, I,
0: I, I had one like three steps in, I had to make a, a fist out of my left hand because I was losing my wedding ring. It was so muddy in there, and I was trying to <laughs> swim through it. But yeah, so that was the first time I saw you race. Yeah, yeah. VJ was in that race too. Really? He was the kid who led the race the first like four hundred. He was like fifteen or sixteen at the time. God, I remember that race
2: went out quick.
0: He was so fast.
2: We hit that wall of a hill and uh it was me and max all by ourselves after that and that's that's one of those things like had i had a little bit of obstacle experience because i was just going into everything a little tentative like that's a race that at my fitness then like i could have been competing you know right there with max the whole race but he was actually pulling ahead of me on obstacles because he had done atlas race before i think he'd done warrior dash and i you know i wasn't there's nothing to be bad at there i just wasn't attacking obstacles like i would today
0: right Kirk, I was as smoked in that race. Yeah, I was just smoked in that race as I've been. It, it was probably like a top three or five all time, just completely spent. And it was a three point like four mile with Warrior Dash obstacles. It's actually kind of kind of like Spartan Jacksonville. I mean, where you're
2: just smoked. I mean, like just going like hardcore. Every, all the running we were doing in Jacksonville was just sub five pace. Or these short intervals, and then it was almost like the obstacles of rest that freshen up your running. But by the end, you're just redlined.
1: Yeah, that had to be because Warrior Dash is always we're notorious for kind of poking fun at Warrior Dash for being a joke. So it must have just been the effort that that the competition yeah. required. Yeah, yeah. That's that. I mean, that's there's it's. it's I I I kind of get a
2: kick out of like guys that are like, oh, it's not tough enough. You know, like run faster. Yeah, go enough. faster, and it's going to get really tough. It, I mean, sometimes the more free uh, running you have, like the ability to redline, is is tougher than putting you on, you know, bushwhacky stuff in the woods where you're just kind of like slowed down and your heart rate doesn't get as high.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, those obstacles ended up hurting worse than normal obstacles because it was the only place for like Hunter and I to try to catch up to you or so Max. You had but we had to seconds. attack the obstacles and. Oh, it was terrible. Yeah, Woodsy, what, uh,
1: so you, um, I mean, you got your ass kicked. It sounds like a good bit early on in your career. Right. And then you took a few year break. Like, why, why the heck did you come back? Why were you like, ah, I just gotta go one more round at this. Like why you were doing um, well in your road racing and your mountain racing. So like, what did you have to prove?
2: Well, I mean, I, I like, I mean, that's, that's the number one thing, you know, and, and sometimes just finding different vents. When I came back, it even gets worse. <laughs> when okay. I came back, to, I tried my first Spartan. Uh, guess where that was? Mm, Asheville. Killington, 2014 World Championships.
0: <laughs> that's right. You and Max did your first Spartan there.
2: Yeah. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I led on the first climb. On the downhill, Atkins catches up with me. I'm like, oh. I'm like, hey, who are you? He's like, I'm Ryan. I'm like, I'm Ryan. Um, and then uh, we go to the swim in that Tarzan swing, and I, I can't do that. So that's burpees and next thing you know like there's buckets and there's another bucket and and sand i mean i dropped out uh 10 miles in and and i i was already like in way over my head so i i dropped out of that and that's when i swore off all sorts of obstacle racing forever and then <laughs> my buddy's like dude you should try this warrior dash bobby mack actually he's a really fast 5k guy he's mm-hmm. like sending information on i'm like all right, those look easy, it's a 5K, maybe I'll give one more a try. And then uh, and then, yeah, then I got passed in a mud
1: pit. Um, I don't know why I kept coming back. You know, though, Woodsy, I think it's good for people to hear that, like, like you didn't start on top, man, in, in all of this. Because I think a lot of people come in and they get frustrated with, like, their performances and they think, like, uh, the guys on top just came in and they're naturally that great and they didn't have to work that hard at it because they had all this talent. And, like, those people that assume that are wrong. Well, going back to
2: what Bracken said, though, I I think it is really hard. It's going to be really hard for Spartan to get new talent in the sport because you think about like, oh, I struggled, but kind of not really. I mean, you know, it was a couple Spartan races in and I really figured it out. Um, But here's the thing, like I had speed. I was a fast runner. I also had the ability to run on any sort of terrain. So the only thing I had to work on was a little bit of grip and core, you know, back core to To do those heavy carries, Um, and there's a lot of fast runners that you know can't run on trails. And then there's you know a lot of trail runners that aren't going to ever they aren't going to have the frame to hold up to the heavy carries. And if they do, they're going to get their butts kicked early on because they're going to do the big races. And right now, there's so many guys in the sport that are actually really fast and that can do all these obstacles. They're attacking obstacles. Where if you come in, even if you've got the great frame, you can run trails and fast, wide open. Like you still get, you're going to get to an obstacle and you're going to hesitate. You're going to wonder what to do. You're going to pick up a sandbag, and you're not going to sprint with it. You're going to be just losing seconds and seconds and seconds. And there's a high likelihood, you you know, you could show up to a race that you should do really well at, like a like a mountain beast, if you're a guy who's fast and can run mountains, and you might not finish, you know, top five, maybe eighth or ninth or tenth, and That's kind of, if someone's got that sort of talent, that's kind of uh, demoralizing and it's not something that's going to bring people back. So I don't, I mean, you think about it, who have we seen new in the sport over the last three, four years? I think the sport has gotten to a point where um, it's tough to break in.
0: Yeah, it's promoting from within currently. You know, Kempson came up on the scene in Luna Lima, but they'd been there for years, just not... Yeah,
2: they've all been there since 2015. They were both in Tahoe in 2015. Well, I don't know if Kempson was racing because he had the hip thing, but he's been around.
0: It's And I think the only way Spartan will get these athletes to stick around is if they pay well deep. But, like, right now, it's not worth it to go out and get embarrassed and get your butt kicked and be sore for, like, two weeks afterwards for, like, to maybe take eighth place your first one and not make any money or make, like, 200 bucks.
2: I think PayWell Deep is is exactly it, but I don't know if it's necessarily deep in the U.S. series. I think they should um, I think they should build their regional brand uh, a little bit better. If they did Savage Race type of prize money and just your normal Spartan race, I think that gives guys more of an opportunity to make racing a career. So if you're a a tier two pro, as as I guess Spartan classifies, or even a tier three, now all of a sudden, you know, if you get second in your local Spartan race, you've got five hundred bucks. That's that's good. You know, you can actually kind of justify trying to make a living at it. Whereas right now, you know, those smaller events, you know, second place gives you two hundred bucks, and you just spent one hundred fifty on entry and twenty to park. You know, uh, it's
0: right. it, it's
2: hard to, to to grow. There's nothing that's being offered uh, in the smaller events, and then like we said, you go to the bigger ones, and you're just going to get your ass handed to you by
0: me and the other big boys. Like the top ten spots are kind of spoken for. Yeah. You know, and, and and maybe after after six to twelve weeks of racing and prepping, you can claim one of those top ten. But there are now like legitimately fifteen guys in the US who could all go top seven or eight. Yeah. The guys feel really deep. Yeah. And and that that's those aren't huge numbers yet, but that's a lot of people who are obstacle proficient and good technical runners and aren't gonna mess up. Who aren't gonna make
2: a lot of money. Because like you said, the, the depth of money is is super poor.
0: When I first came into the sport, um, I made twenty to thirty K a year on prize money, and I wasn't better than I am now. There's just twenty other guys who are all as good or better than I was who now make twelve hundred dollars a year on prize money yeah. because it just doesn't go <laughs> around anymore. Who now Spartan is supporting that much less. It's it, it's kind of crazy that that everyone who doesn't make podiums are better <laughs> than everyone who used to like win yeah. world championships or make podiums like
2: they're all training specifically for it too yeah
0: but it's not really about the
1: money I, I mean you didn't sign your spartan contract so obviously it wasn't about just the money for you and you're not i mean are you are you doing it for the money or would you do it would you do it anyways because you look i it. mean they didn't
2: offer me the money and now had i known like markets were going to crash and i wasn't going to be working for several weeks like yeah i kind of wish i had that money now but but I mean, you take a look at Spartans end of it, boy, uh, I'm sure that right now they're wishing they didn't invest in Tough Mudder and Decafit and trail running like they had because those, they, I mean, they would acknowledge that Decafit and trail, you know, they weren't expecting to, m- them to be big. They were just trying to get people into Spartans and now, you know, they invested all that money and there's no events. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure they're wishing they'd stuck to what they were good at for uh, a little bit more and instead of spreading spread themselves as thin as they did. but. I mean, that's, yeah, that's kind of hindsight, you know, uh, when it, when it came down to back then, I wasn't going to take, uh, take that much less money and they kind of snuck it up a little bit at the end. It was more like eight grand is what like, and they're like, Oh no, we, we put that in there. But, um, you know, in terms of the travel that was required and the time and, and everything else, and just, you know, sheer fact that they wanted me to the North American champ to take less than the year before, uh, you know, the, my pride wasn't really interested in in doing that, especially what after what was not exactly a good year on the protein between my issues with Robert Coble and Trusses and Burpee Form and me, um, I mean I didn't say anything publicly, you know. When those happened, I didn't make any sort of post, but then you know internally I seemed to get punished for my attitude on it. Uh, it wasn't a good first year, so I, I definitely wasn't interested in taking last to be their whipping
0: boy. You were getting it from a couple of fronts. First of all. You still had the reputation and a bit of the aura because of the failed test. Second of all, every time you say anything online, Aaron Newell is your like your little bulldog on there. And (laughs) and so I think a lot of what Aaron says in Spartan's eyes is you as well. And then third, you had like your on course, like your trust, your burpees, and it like snowballed to have like this huge persona of Ryan issue. Ryan Woods is an issue. He's a problem for us. And it wasn't like Aaron Newell is barking for Ryan. It was like Ryan's barking and it's coming out of Aaron's mouth.
2: First of all, well, point number one, the DHEA thing was three years ago now. And so they gave me the contract the year before, you know, with that already being out there. So I I don't
0: think that's. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about the overall snowball effect of why I think you personally got hosed in your contract.
2: Aaron says a lot of things, though that like uh, you know I don't agree with. I don't think uh, I don't know if they were putting Aaron because Aaron kind of you know he he's he's very passionate and, and he has a lot of opinions and to I don't think uh, I mean I definitely wouldn't lump all of his opinions in as as being mine. I mean we had completely different takes on the pro team and 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 that sort of uh, thing as well. So I you know if that's going on when the pro team's going on, I, I don't know how they would lump aaron's opinions in with
0: me i'm saying as an outsider as someone who has watched on social media uh the general consensus seems to be that like from spartans on is that you stir the pot after some of these like the trust the burpees and i see it as aaron stirred the pot for you and i think you're paying for that
2: i okay i see what you're saying Well, I also think so. I've had a lot of heated conversations with them. Um, I cussed out Robert Koble. And that's what led to Jessica Franco, flaming me online, you know, without any sort of reference. She was like, Oh, he's acting like a baby, blah, blah, blah. I hadn't said anything publicly. But I had said something privately Them, which is what they wanted me to do. I went to them, I addressed issues with them. They handled some ignored others. uh, But I made sure, you know, I kept everything in house, and that's what they wanted, and that's why I felt like I did a good job dealing with bad circumstances last year. But they seemed to want to make it seem like that in house, and maybe other people's uh, voicing their opinions on those things as well came from me. I, and I can see where you're saying,
0: yeah, I think you became an easy scapegoat for it simply because even if you weren't the one like being the rabble rouser, the rabble was being roused about your name. Yeah even though Killian got a lesser offer and then they made it back up, I think that it was easier to make it up to him than it would be to make it up to you. Because again, I think you were the, you became the whipping boy for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, what can you do? How have your interactions been this year with like Spartan staff? And I don't know, just when you've been at the, like the race or two you've done already, like have you noticed anybody treating you any different from their end or is it just like, it's cool, like normal?
0: But
2: Kobel now and I don't interact with each other. Um, I was noticing last year between him and the other refs uh, kind of uh, a coldness from them, you know, before all that went down. It, it seemed like a lot of the officials were upset with me in the trust incident, uh, you know, like, like I deserved it. And there seemed to be – I actually even heard this several times, you know, from Jessica Franco online and her flaming of me that, you know, I, I seem to be a chronic cheater – you know who deserves what he gets you know he's been told over and over again so i think you know on the official side like yeah there's some bad blood and that's that was actually a part of why i ended up kind of making that post and calling out koble was just so that you know people knew and if they're gonna punish me now there's gonna be some scrutiny on them as well it's just not me bending over and just taking it over and over again but you know, I feel like I've got a pretty decent relationship with Watson. We cuss each other out all the time, but I kind of <laughs> enjoy it. Nathan's, you know, I, I, you know, he's civil and polite, you know, and so I, I seem to have a good relationship with him. Uh, you know, and I'm I'm polite to them too. And and when it comes down to it, though, we'll both speak our minds.
1: How do you feel about the fact that? Uh, you are solely responsible for uh, countless rule changes in the Spartan Book. You have changed the course of history, Ryan Woods, through all of your uh, shenanigans.
2: Yeah, yeah, I love it. That's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to finish in those places. I cross the finish line. I wanted to change the rule.
0: <laughs> you know what? I feel like if it wasn't you, it was going to be someone. Like people have. I, I don't. I don't know how many times you rewatch coverages. People do infractions all oh. the time it was bound to happen
2: oh yeah and i mean so i mean it, it you can find one almost every single race from a podium finisher every single time um and yeah i mean much more egregious uh violations than the truss on the on the a-frame um
0: yeah for example i was i was on the the indoor bike yesterday and i watched jacksonville over again and i noticed um A couple people, Atkins included, uh, got onto Helix, stepping onto like three feet into Helix uh, rather than starting on the Mm -hmm. first step. Or on uh, Z-Wall, a couple people stepped further in, like got on the second or third footstep on Z-Wall. Now, that's to me, I'm not calling them out for that, but like that saves you two or three seconds where the trust saves you two or three hundredths.
2: Yeah. It's even that because I usually just – I'm running up. I use all legs. The hands are just
0: there to guide me. I still think there's like this huge misunderstanding of what we actually can and can't do.
2: I know, yeah. What? What is it? So is it you grab the first block and the first foot and then you're, you, you can start anywhere with the other hand, right? But you have th- to grab the first block.
0: I thought you uh-huh. had to grab the first block and first foot. But now it's like you can – I've seen people grab the first block and step their foot to the third.
2: From my understanding, yeah, it was touch the you had to have your hand on the first block and first foot. You could go to like the third from there though with your other hand, right?
0: Because I thought technically mounting an obstacle was both feet committed. Yeah. And so like if you stepped on the first and picked your foot up, now you're on it. If you step to the third, your second foot's already like past the begin. I don't know. It's it's strange. But anyways, like their own coverage shows multiple infractions. I think that your infraction should lead to like a bulletproof rule book rather than case by case. Oh, we saw it this time and here's a ad hoc penalty.
1: Yeah. Do you
0: know the, do you know the
1: biggest infraction I see that goes missed in this live coverage that is supposed to be an automatic DQ is people grab water cups mm-hmm. and they run with it and they toss it on the ground, 10 yards past the garbage can. I mean, I've seen every person who's won a race, especially mountain courses. And that's technically like I stop, drink my water, throw it in the, freaking garbage like I'm supposed to. And then I watch the coverage and see everybody uh, everybody toss them in the freaking woods. I know, yeah. I saw that in West Virginia when I won. Um, we all mm-hmm. went through, and, and
2: there was a trash can that they had upside down, so we didn't have a trash to throw it in. So we put it <laughs> down beside it. But I saw somebody saying online, oh, you should be a DQ'd littering Trash can wasn't turned over. We didn't have anywhere to throw it. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: But you see it from a lot of lot of guys a lot of times. You just yeah, you talking. do see that
2: a lot. Yeah.
0: I saw three instances of podium finishers not finishing in the clothes they started with in rewatching this stuff. So like stuff like this happens all the time. At some yeah. point, it's gotta just be cleaned up in mass.
2: Well, once I violate those rules, don't worry, they'll get cleaned up. <laughs>
0: Why don't you just do that? Why don't you pick a new rule every race and just go through the rule book in one year? maybe oh, just one man.
1: race, break all the rules in one race so you don't fuck up like a whole season where of racing well, if i if I hadn't known I would have <laughs> so,
2: <laughs> sometimes i'm I'm thinking man maybe should I just if uh if if I miss a spear in a beast race, should I just skip the burpees all together and just take the ten minute penalty? Would that be faster or would it be you know better just to lay down and stand up? I would
1: say lay down and stand up.
2: I don't know, 10 minutes, like early in the beast race?
0: The old rules, you took 30 seconds per burpee up to 10, and after that you were DQ'd.
2: Yeah, I could take 10 minutes. I think I would have been better off in Tahoe had I had a 10-minute penalty at the at the spear. Because, uh, you know, it took me two minutes to do those burpees because it was in that puddle. Uh, but I just never was the same runner again after that. So if I just would have ran out of there, I think uh, – and plus I also had the penalty for individual burpees. That's That
1: was kind of my thinking on that. I'm gonna get penalized for individual ones for doing them wrong. Yeah. Was your uh do you do you have an obstacle that you come up to still and you're like, ah fuck, it's the it's this obstacle. Is there any that you feel like you're you like hesitate still or now you just like fly through everything?
2: Nah, I've never really been a guy that hesitated, and that probably cost me some in the past. Uh, you know, because I've always, you know, made a priority of attacking obstacles.
1: Um I, okay. I still but, have one. What? uh you know in my first season i failed uh i got a wet z wall a wet muddy z wall and i was in the lead of my first spartan race i have like a two minute lead and i fell off and it completely threw my race off so every time i step up to a z wall still i'm like shit it's like some weird like ptsd but other (laughs) than that i I got nothing yeah i guess if it's raining and wet and it's you know the, the conditions could
2: lead to like a tire uh i'd be concerned about that um especially if it's in mud. And z Wall too. I remember like when I first started uh there's one in Atlanta, I think. Atlanta or Ohio where it was like day 2 and it was just caked in mud and it was raining and it was like ice. I think it was Ohio's second day and I think like one out of the top 30 guys made it
1: through it. <laughs> Ugh. What about you bracken? You got anything?
0: Yeah, any any sort of hanging obstacles while wet just I, it doesn't matter how many times I've not failed it. I never have 100% confidence getting up to it. I, yeah, I'm, I yeah. go through every hanging obstacle scared in every single race.
2: Wet makes you know, grabbing that much more difficult. And then you know a lot of times when you're wet, you're also cold, which mm-hmm. can – I don't know if it, the cold makes you weaker or if it makes you just trust your body less. Because um, yeah. uh, I haven't had like an issue in the cold, but I, I
0: always am more concerned. I found also that in the cold, because you trust it less or your fingers aren't working well, you like squeeze and clench with every yeah. fiber of your being, core. and yeah. you just start losing strength throughout multiple obstacles because of that.
2: I think uh, from what I was watching last year at Seattle, um, I could see that on, on a lot of guys, just just way more wiped out for what a flat core should have
1: should have made them. Yeah, that was me. That was me for sure. Ah, I sucked that race, I was trying to was... call you out, but just <laughs> after the race, you're like, Kirk, you look both white and shitty out there you told me you're like you're the (laughs) whitest guy out there and you looked like shit thanks buddy i just want to make sure we we cleared the two
2: things up i want to make sure they're separate you know you didn't look shitty because you're white you look both white (laughs) and shitty
1: that's how it came that's how it came off uh woodsy i was told to ask you about the burrito 5k
2: yeah, yeah, that's one what's of my a, career highlights. This, yeah, what's this burrito
1: 5K about? They used to
2: this Moe's burrito 5K down in Columbia, South Carolina, where you ate a Moe's burrito at the two-mile mark. And uh oh, first okay. year I did it, I was in good shape, and I, I, I won it in 1553. So. Wait, that's counting the time it took to eat the burrito? Yep. Um, or 5K? Yeah, and the last mile I ran like a 438 that was with the burrito in me, but I guess the resting of the legs, I was, so I was, um, it was, a. I mean, I won two grand for that too. And it was actually a deep field. So we got there, oh man, probably under nine twenty at two miles and then pounded the burrito. I didn't know what I was going to have for that last mile. Uh, but it turns out, you know, I was just sitting there like big bite of burrito, sip of water to swallow it. So I got it down fairly quick. The water was the only way I could swallow it, but turned mm-hmm. out that like minute, of rest for eating that burrito uh, just kind of played into a big kick out of the legs. So, and it was not digested at all. So I didn't have any sort of like burping or anything. And it's not like a beer mile where foam's coming up. Like I was shocked how fast that last mile was in that,
1: is uh, Was there a specific burrito eating zone? You couldn't be eating yeah, on the there run? There's a burrito zone and you could kind of walk through it. It was maybe
2: 50 meters long. Ah, I mean, not even that long. So you can kind of make up some ground in there as well uh and you had your choice you could do chicken or veggie
0: what'd you go with
1: i think i i think i did veggie
0: it'd be tempting to go lighter
2: yeah you know man i had a i had logic behind it i don't know what it was though
0: (laughs) all right so i've heard of three very cool ingest and run events the first is the beer mile which everyone's done or most Second is the burrito 5K. I hadn't heard of that until you. And then <laughs> Chad Trammell in Alaska, they do a tequila steeplechase. Oh. Of those three, what would you be world champ at if only the the, the fields of like a normal Tahoe world championship showed up? What, what's your best event?
2: Oh, man. I mean, I did really well in that burrito 5K. Uh, I did a steeplechase in college. I, I stepped the barriers, but I did train for it. And I feel like I could have been a good steepler, but also... Uh, Ended up running like thirteen fifty three that track season, so it kind of made me a five k guy after the one. I was all conference actually in the ACC at Steeplechase in my one race.
0: Whoa.
2: Um, But because that was eighteen years ago, um, I'd have to go to the burrito burrito five k. Definitely not beer mile. I by by two three beers in, like like the the expansion of fluids is is
1: to the point where I'm not running.
0: <laughs> okay. What's the
1: the tequila setup?
0: How did Uh, that shot a tequila every lap?
1: No, for how many
0: in a a 3K? I think they did thousand. Oh, God. I was going to say. Wait, a thousand would only be no, maybe it was 2K. Maybe it was 2K. 2K makes sense. You take four shooters. Yeah. So same as a beer mile. Yeah. 2K tequila steeple. You could do a
2: 3K and just not, you know, start with the running and then you'd have six. I like the three. We'll have
0: to ask Chad. I, I'm not sure what it came out to, but he did it on Thursday and he raced a Spartan race on Saturday. Oh man. The glory. and How, and how, how, well, how did
1: he do in this Spartan race? I, he took, I, he took fourth or fifth. I think it, okay. it was an NBC
0: race. It was Montana. Hmm.
1: Woodsy. When are you, uh, when are you going to run a stadium race because you have podiumed in every other race event, but a stadium does your ego need to check that one off
0: the list.
2: Well, I don't have a season pass anymore.
0: <laughs> Did you have to pay? Did you pay for Jacksonville?
2: Uh, I've got i got a few free passes. I only had a few top threes last year, and uh, but they all expire in July. So
0: now they said we can reach out. Uh, I'm nervous to reach out.
2: Yeah, they're that's just them bullshitting. They're, they're
0: I assume I'm not going to hear back when I email saying, "Hey, I'd like my free race card." You're not going to not gonna hear back.
2: <laughs> I was automatically, even when they wouldn't put me on the pro team, I had automatically had a season pass. They, I mean, they at least respected me enough to give me one all those years. This is the first year I haven't had one. Um, so I would probably do one though if they came to Charlotte. I mean, I'm not traveling for one. I'm not getting on an airplane to go chase 500 bucks.
1: You don't have any interest in just checking that one off the list. No, I do, I do, but again, not for uh
2: you know, not spending three hundred dollars to fly to somewhere to to do it.
0: If Hyrox paid you to come out, would you try a Hyrux?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Decafit, I mean, is coming to Raleigh, so if I if uh if I can get a free entry into that, I, I would do that. Decafit seems easy though, but I would do a Hyrox. I don't mind destroying myself, you know that. <laughs>
0: I do know
1: that you showed up to Tough Letter X completely unprepared. You'll show hope up yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> when I've done races like that, they approach me and they're like, "We've got this new idea. It's going to be short obstacles and fit functional fitness station." And I think of functional fitness is like pull ups and push ups,
1: not like ninety pound sandbag cleans. I don't. I didn't know what a clean was. <laughs> That's the first time I think I'd one of the first times I had met you, and I, we were all waiting in line. To, I don't know, check in or whatever. And you walked up and you knew Hunter. And you walked up and you go, first thing he says, I don't know what the fuck I'm even doing here. <laughs> and, that was, and that was your attitude the whole weekend. It was fun. I,
2: they slowed played me into that. I think, uh, or may, they probably just didn't know. But like, it was like, oh, yeah, functional fitness in between obstacles. And next thing you know, like, I'm looking at what we're doing. I'm like, oh, man, I can't, I've already booked my flight.
0: <laughs> that had to have been the craziest, like, intimidating start to that race when two guys tore their Achilles in warm-ups yeah what what are we doing here i think that was the second year wasn't it no
1: that was the first year or that was you're right that was the second year i just remember yeah. looking around and everybody looked like they definitely did crossfit and i was like oh, i'm just like the skinny kid here how did that happen i i made you not the skinny kid Thank i remember you. just thinking don't run too hard
2: here in the beginning because i'm just gonna embarrass myself <laughs> so i like jogged the first like box jumps or whatever it was just just because I didn't want to like be out front and then have them focusing on me to to as I'm falling apart. Yeah,
0: it'd be okay to take last as long as you weren't twenty meters up in first initially. Exactly.
2: So I just jogged <laughs> and I took last. You,
0: you you still were up in first. Me and you were
1: in first going into the box jump overs. Yeah, but I
2: wasn't like really? leading. I was like letting you run with me. I wasn't like racing. You, you know, we were just jogging. We
1: I mean, were someone jogging. Someone
2: else was with us too.
1: Mm, Kempson or something maybe. I don't remember. Wednesday, when you, uh, I'm curious about, these are personal curiosities, um, of all your Spartan races that you've done so far, like your Spartan wins, I guess, which one is like the most memorable or impactful for you? Like, which one do you think back on that just jacks you up? Do you have one that stands out? That jacks me up. Yeah. Um, That gets you real pumped. You're like extra proud of like the one race.
2: I mean, I, I don't know if pride or getting jacked is, but um, winning San Jose, you know, coming off of the DHAA test, like, and not, also, like, the response from a lot of my peers in that race, I mean, that meant a lot to me. I worked hard, and it really, you know, I kind of changed my whole lifestyle that off season. I started drinking less and eating healthier and doing lots of little things. I don't, I, I, I've never said that I was, like, motivated to prove people wrong, but... And I, I, that wasn't where I was at, but I was also, you know, I, I think uh, if I'm being honest, maybe there was a bit of that um, burning inside. And so that that meant a lot to me. And uh, But West Virginia last year, North American champs also was a pretty great experience. You know, um, those, those would be the two that came to mind.
1: What's your most embarrassing race to this day? Uh, let's go start in OCR. Which one do you, you just, you just shamed yourself?
2: Well, uh, again, maybe I don't feel a totally shame, but that Palmerton race where uh, I was, it was the first time they had an open house. It was the first time I ever got to practice on obstacles and I just went nuts on it. 90 degree heat the day before and my hands, <laughs> leaving the venue the day before, my hands are raw. I still think it was good to get that experience. I went a little overboard and that's where I failed four obstacles, which uh and i still got sixth place i think and i was still like even like 60 in i was competing for second maybe third and like so that was one of those races where i was like oh man like that was embarrassing they highlighted it on tv as the first time they'd ever highlighted me and it was i mean i've never done more than 60 in a race besides that so it was that was embarrassing just because of the this the magnitude of it but i mean really the world's toughest mutter first attempt uh, uh spartan vermont first attempt you know uh those dropouts were pretty pretty embarrassing as well
1: and that was a dry day in palmerton if i remember there was oh, yeah. no wet
2: obstacles yeah the, so the first obstacle of the race, or second was the uh Herquois, and it was brand new ropes and i couldn't grab them i couldn't even get it off off the ground as they was just my hands were so raw i couldn't even squeeze and and i did burpees
1: like less, it was less than a mile in. <laughs> Bracken, do you have a most embarrassing race that you've ever, like the one you just shake your head at? Like you're an idiot? I mean, there's so many,
0: yeah. <laughs> so uh, many. <laughs> well, I took, 50, I took 48th or 52nd at Tahoe my first year. I, I cramped up and gave up and just walked down the mountain. Uh, the, the backstory, I, I, I hadn't told anyone. We went to Costa Rica for like 12 days as a family. And I spent the last four days on the toilet and came back i was like 12 down pound 12 pounds down and went to tahoe and i wasn't gonna race i'm like oh what's the worst that could happen and i i would have taken fourth uh for the women Job. That, <laughs> so that was a really bad one
2: that was the first time in tahoe i remember that i because i remember i fell and hit my knee and thought i was gonna have to drop out and i spent like five or six minutes like walking around cussing and then all of a sudden like my knee loosened back up and i was able to run and i'm like wow all right, I finished like 21st, not bad yeah, considering, yeah. you know, how bad it went. And then I'm like, looked in the results and I'm like, oh man, I beat Bracken.
0: <laughs> yeah. And the reason that was the most embarrassing was I was on the athlete panel the night before. <laughs> yeah. And like as one of the favorites, because that was yeah. back when I was still like making podiums at the national races and I was supposed to do well and I wouldn't have made the women's podium that day. So that was a bad one. I, I mean, I've had a lot of bad ones, but that was, that was really that was a long time on course. If it makes you guys feel better, I took 58th at
1: Tahoe my first year, and I was proud of it. <laughs> so, 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 so there you go. I had to, I had a kick with uh, Rose Wetzel to the finish who caught me in fantasy. So, I mean, there you have it.
0: You've, you have had a, a sprint finish with two of the greats. You had it with Hobie and Rose.
1: Uh, <laughs> we were both doing burpees. Uh, Did you beat both of them? Year. Uh, I beat Hobie and Rose finished in front of me. She finished wow. her burpees
0: like one or two in front of me. So oh,
2: wasn't.
0: that was man. that year was the year of two epic burpee offs with Faye and Lindsay, and then you and Rose. <laughs> well, that it wasn't. It wasn't.
1: It wasn't quite that, but we'll, we'll go with it.
0: Woods, I only have one thing left on my docket for you. You are approaching the time when, like, our sport has shown there to be a cutoff for age. Like Hobie and Cody have both won world titles at forty. And we're out of the sport by forty-one. So they're still we, pretty
2: good, though. I think they could yeah. have kept going. I think mentally they were done,
0: and plus I they agree. Moved everything was Sunday. But 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 I mean those go hand in hand. What what yeah. what's your, what are your plans? What's your take on that?
2: I don't know, man. I mean, like I just turned forty-one this week. Uh, I guess six days ago. No um, one
0: has done a full season at forty-one uh, out of someone who's like a, a national hey, series no contender going to this
2: year either. <laughs> Um, no i I keep wondering you know like when are the wheels gonna fall off i know it's got to happen eventually it does but you know as i'm getting out of here and i'm like me physically right now i feel as good as i have in years i wonder if maybe the engine is you know maybe one or two or three percent weaker than what it was a few years ago like i I don't think you know i don't think i'm a guaranteed you know run away from everybody in the climbs anymore um but i mean i was in on vacation in hawaii i just ran i just did a 10k and i wanted to run 510 pace and i pretty much nailed it uh i would have if it wasn't for a headwind in the last mile which dropped to 520 which ruined the whole effort but um you know i'm still running really well i'm getting out there i'm I'm actually better at technical downhills right now than i have been since i broke my Mm -hmm. ankle like i'm Actually, getting downhill segments uh, on on so many of my runs now, and I don't know. There's things I'm doing better. There's things that I'm still pretty good at, and there's things that maybe I'm falling off at. But I think the balance of it, I, I don't see anything changing this year. And and I wonder. I, I I expected it to happen last year. I expected it maybe the year before, maybe this year. And and I'm gonna keep doing what I do. and pushing it until it does. And I have a feeling for me, it you know either it's gonna be slow mm-hmm. over the course of few years or it's going to be one of those things where i get injured and then it's a few months off and i can't get back into it like i had so i do a lot to keep myself healthy um you know i've got good supplement companies behind me uh with good nutrition stuff but i also do a lot on my own every day stretching yoga everything i can to keep myself as healthy as possible and because that's that's where i feel like it could end pretty quickly at my age but it hasn't yet so we'll,
0: we'll see Bar and injury. If you had to predict right now, how many years left do you think you have where you are a constant podium threat?
2: Um, I mean, I I think this year for sure. I know that. I mean, Jacksonville, I was a, a podium threat, and that was a race that I made a lot of big mistakes. Um, you know, I lost 14 seconds on that sandbag after I after I fell, and with about a third of it left to Atkins, and we were going the same pace. Um, so that, and I was slow on the Z wall. I, I didn't position myself well, well, uh, coming off of that really slow. I hit Kimson's knee and I was conservative. And so I, I did things wrong that race and I was still competing for a podium. So I think as the races get longer, the margin error increases and I, you know, that only helps me. And, uh, so I know this year and I'll keep doing what what I'm doing and I think we'll see, uh, I'll still see good results next year too. I mean, it's, uh, it's just I don't know i i i expect eventually it's gonna happen but right now i i still feel like things are going really well and i'm 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 maybe more consistent than i have was in my mid-30s where i kind of got enjoyed my beers too much and i enjoyed you know i took things for granted a little bit and my metabolism might not have been as good and now i kind of work at every little detail to make sure i'm in the best shape i can be and
0: i think that is paying off will you continue if you can't make a podium
2: uh, yeah, I think so. Maybe not with just Spartans, you know, unless they kind of, you know, welcome me back or do something a little bit more to to bring me, make me involved. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll continue definitely doing trail races. I'll maybe do a few more ultra sort of stuff. Uh, it'd be cool to do, like, I mean, you know, travel with some of these Spartans. I'd love to do, you know, some of the more international races. Uh, you know, um, it's just what's available to me. But I, I don't see myself, like, stopping competing at all. I, I mean, I want to be that old guy who's retired from work but he's still out there running races you know I don't I don't have any plans to stop getting out there and, and hit the trails
1: no but I think you spoke to something that's actually important to you know really most people when they get like I don't know upper 30s early 40s really the name of the game man is staying healthy and as yeah. long as you don't get a big large break in your training due to injury because you've got a lot of years of wear and tear on that body man like that's what's ultimately going to take all of us out it's probably if we have the desire it's going to be something going so you're doing the right things it sounds like yeah
2: yeah you know and i I don't feel that wear and tear in my body man i i get out there for these runs i feel great you know uh um yeah so um i hope it keeps that way i mean i because i really enjoy running and trail running and mountain running and and i i enjoy competing so even if i'm not competing for podiums even if i would like man, it'd be cool to be showing up five years from now and still running elites and, and competing to finish top 10. Like, I would love that, man. Like, I, I'm on board with that, you know, and make all the young kids, you know, hate their lives because the old guy's crushing them. Like, I'll I'll do that before I disappear.
0: I've thought about that a lot and, and wondered if if I'd be able to do a gradual descent back into, like, the, the 10s or 15s or if I'd have to take, like, uh, just even, like, a one-year hiatus and then come back as the old guy. Yeah. <laughs> if that would be like mentally better for me.
2: I think like it depends on your age. I, I feel like if it's if it's, if it's it's me and it's 43, 44, 45, like at that age, like you start to – like I, I start to accept and understand, you know, limitations that I'm going to have, you know. But if you're – what are you, 36? 32. 32? Oh, sorry, man. So like if you're <laughs> 32, 33, 34, 35 – I think it's it'd be probably a lot harder, you know. The older you are, the tougher it gets. You're only thirty two? Thirty two. Man.
0: So look at that baby face.
2: So when we raced in twenty fourteen, you were twenty six. Yeah. Damn,
0: you were a baby. I know. I just started yeah, I started my first year out of college. I did my first race.
2: You're you're the first generation like growing up as like as pro Spartan. Yeah. Or Formerly pro. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I'm at peace with that. I don't, I used to have a huge amount of ego tied to that. Now it's like, you know what? I want to get in really good shape and race and ruin some people's day and have a lot of fun coaching. And that's, that's enough for me.
2: Yeah. It's a lot more fun to be on the outside than to be on the inside, to be the little whipping boy, you know, having to be told what to do, when to do it. You know, it's, it's kind of nice just being the one messing up everything for everyone else.
0: And I love my years with Spartan. I really did. But it does make the weekend a little less about enjoyment and a little bit more about business. Yeah. Now we can get out and enjoy it. That's right.
1: Woodsy, I got one last question for you. Yeah. Um, we know you're doing the US Series. I think you've said that on social media. Uh, what else are you looking at this year? Where can, oh, I mean, assuming races resume in like June or July. What else do you have on your schedule?
2: Um, I've got my schedule right here.
1: Oh convenience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it is.
2: Um, yeah, I was kind of toying with the Canadian series as well, but I guess is Montreal canceled yet? May 9th? It, I don't it, know. I can't yeah. keep up with it, though. I, I
1: think they're May be. 15th. May 15th, I believe. Through May 15th, they've officially canceled.
2: So um, and then the other two weekends of the Canadian series is the same weekend as Broken Arrow and the US Mountain Running Championships. So I was thinking about maybe doing those instead of Canadian series. Um I've got well I had a few local trail races um those got rescheduled. I hadn't really gotten into my summer of scheduling yet besides the US series and and you know the big Spartans at the end of the year. So and it's kind of hard to start looking at it right now just because I don't know what's going to be around but I think I'd like to do Broken Arrow this year. Um I think that I've been out there so many times I uh I know that terrain very well. i like to get out there and just maybe go for a run as opposed to doing burpees in a frozen mud puddle. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I'd like to do that. The, the U S mountain running championships I haven't done it in a while. And I don't know, just to see where I'm at compared to the top mountain runners. I think a lot of that depends on my fitness. You know, I wasn't, uh, going into Jacksonville. I wasn't where I wanted to be. I would say it was maybe a couple of weeks, uh, away, um, from where I was the year before and maybe a couple pounds too. uh, taking a break now, you know, I, I don't, I'm not worried about getting there, uh, but it's just kind of figuring out when I build up and when I get there. So I wouldn't want to go across the country for a big trail race, mountain race, if I'm not in good shape. But if I'm in the type of shape I was last uh, into summer and fall, then uh, I definitely want to head out there and do some bigger trail races this year.
1: Spring went some road races here and there, too. Some of the fast local uh, regional ones. Yeah, you like to do that. And who uh, any sponsors you want to shout out? Who's taking care of you these days? Uh, I got the Riverbend CBD. You see that on my titties?
2: Yeah. Uh-uh. Uh, and Durley, you know, they're always great to me. I love working with Matt. Um, Attack, they've got these new energy shots out. I just had my first one today. Uh, I think they're going to be awesome. And uh, DJ Shoes, I did my uh, my 1500 meter time trial today in the new X-Speeds and they are fast. So. I've got a a good set of sponsors, man. I'm actually really well taken care of. I I like all the brands that are representing me, and uh, I'm very fortunate to be with them because they're quality.
1: Sweet, dude. Breck, and you got anything else?
0: You know what? I was going to talk to you and ask you a bunch about your training and everything, and I think I'd rather just have a woodsy training theory episode in the future. You know, I don't have a whole lot of theory
2: behind mine. I kind of just do what I did – in college, you know, um, it's, I have the same sort of breakdown, um, as to, to what it is. So I don't know if we could do a whole podcast on that.
0: Well, then g- give me your, give me your five minute breakdown.
2: All right. Um, I mean, basically, you know, my week is centered around two hard efforts, uh, usually fart runs, um, varying, uh, distances, uh, early in the year, kind of more base, longer stuff, more speed later on. I get a long run in every week, um, I was only doing about an hour and a half because leading into uh, Jacksonville because everything was short to start the year but it'll get up to two hours. Um, and then the rest is just maintenance runs, maintenance runs with one recovery day and the recovery day will be 30 minutes or it might actually be on the bicycle now. Getting older, uh, you know I was forcing myself one day on the bike uh, over the last two years here and there. Uh, I could take two if I'm feeling beat up, it's a great way to kind of get my climbing legs. Uh, uh, but basically that's the same build, same formula I've had since college. Uh, and I sprinkle in more specific stuff based upon the events coming up. So if it's mountain stuff, then I'll do a couple of mountain days in there. Um more hilly workouts, potentially on some of our rolling hill terrain. And if it's you know uh technical trails coming up, then I'll get out and run some of the single track. Uh, it's kind of just based on what's what's on the uh, schedule. And then um I do I've been consistent this year until the CrossFit gym closes with one day a week of CrossFit, uh that hit sort of workout. Um, two days a week in the climbing gym, uh, uh one day a week of squats and deadlifts, getting that heavy load on the body. And then I like to do some drills and strides just to make sure that I'm keeping some turnover here and there and my technique, running technique is uh, is good. So that's basically all I do. And it's just a little bit
1: of tweaks here and there based upon what's coming up. You're a big fan of the fart. I feel like most of your quality workouts, from what I see, you're not taking actual rest. You're taking very short jog recoveries. You're rarely standing around. You do a lot of ladder work and build up and down. Is that how you approach most all your quality days?
2: Yeah. I mean, like a lot of that is out of necessity. I don't have a track available to me. Um, uh sometimes you know i've got a little loop that i'll do on grass i'll do hill repeats that are specific uh but those i mean that's most of it is fart lakes uh, and a lot of that is because mentally i see splits if i were to go to track i'd see splits and i'd expect i'd expect times that i, I used to be able to run whereas far lakes mm-hmm. you know you base it on feel you'll kind of look at your watch and your gps but you know, if it's not going fast you you just be like, ah, the satellites suck right now. <laughs> you can blame <laughs> it on something else as opposed to what it actually is. So I find I get, you know, when you go into a workout, you, I know most of you guys focus now on heart rate and stuff like that. But back in the day, we, you know, it was more about, all right, what kind of effort am I giving? Can I talk? Am I, how winded am I? It was kind of based on feel more than your actual heart rate. You kind of, I, I couldn't necessarily tie it directly into my heart rate now because I haven't done much heart rate work, but I know that sort of feel is the effort I'm getting. And that's what I push to in Licks, uh is depending on what the time interval is and what the recovery is, what the mm-hmm. feel needs to be. And that's what I've done a good job at over the
0: years is keeping the intensity where it should be. That's huge for our sport too because we can't race based off pace. And yeah. so it's all about whether we're scrambling up a rock face or descending or running technical or flat that it's it's all about feel rather than than actual stats. Yeah. Yeah, and don't look
1: at Woodsy's heart rate data on Strava because it's not accurate. It says his heart get, rate's like 100 beats per minute. I get like three comments a week, and I just have to be like, I think I even put something up on my
2: Strava page that says my heart rate m- monitor is inaccurate. I even got a new watch too, and it still does the same stuff. So. <laughs> oh, and my training I also do a heavy carry day too. Just go
1: yeah. back. To that. Oh, yeah. Where's the other that's actually something. If people really dig into what you're doing, you oftentimes have the fastest carry out of anybody, and nobody even like has realized that yet. Like you could have the fastest sandbag or bucket carry. It's wild. Last two years,
2: I loved it when they had the live feed, and you could just hear like Donahue rambling on about me and how <laughs> all my flaws, you know, which were usually inaccurate. But yeah, no, I, I mean I I take uh, and I know Kimson does this as well, and I'm sure Atkins does, and a lot, a lot of the top guys you know we get down to the race we all take a look at our strava data and we look at what we did well and what we didn't and then we try and perfect that and once you get 5 years into it you know i it took me a couple of years to, i was i was stubborn this first year or two i think in terms of how i trained but now you know i listen to the results and i work on what i need to and and for me you know i'm trying to win every heavy carry on strava you know like i'm getting out there trying to be fast and trying to be efficient um, and uh and I, I try that with every single obstacle though, you know, monkey bars. I want to be the fastest on that. Uh, and that's, that's, that's the goal and that's, I'm gonna keep working the things till I am the fastest at it.
0: I think there's some beautiful simplicity to that. You know, yeah. The race tells you what to do. You go train it. Yep. Yeah.
2: Um, it's, it, data is important, you know, and we don't you don't get a lot of that from, you know, Spartan and splits and their live feeds and stuff like that. But, you know, Strava is an incredible tool to get out there and really learn where you stand with your peers and everyone else in the race. Even if you're, you know, a mid pack guy still competing for age group, you know, you can get out there and see where you line up with everyone else. I'm all fired up. I want to go
0: do a run now. Let's, let's go race
2: in, in June. <laughs> see you in June.
0: That's crazy that best case scenario will race in June.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This this thing's messed up, man.
0: It we is. didn't talk about it, did we? Mm-mm.
1: No, we, that's good. Cheers. We had, a, we had a whole episode on training through the coronavirus. Did you? We said, if you're sick at home, suck it up. You got to train through that virus, we said.
2: Nice. I, that, I like that plan.
0: It's like we're in an yeah. altitude mask. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It's,
2: yeah. it's like resistance training, you know, body oh. resistance training. Your yeah. body's resisting it
1: but you're going to get stronger because of it
2: or die.
0: Viral hypoxic training. (laughs) Oh God.
1: That's how we got to end this podcast. (laughs) All right. I'll see you guys in June.